If there was one thing, I've been thinking about this, and I think it's more true even after a week of preparing over this, if there was one thing that I could just fix for everybody that I know, if I could just snap my fingers and make one thing better for all of my family, for all of us here in New Hope, for all Christians, um, if there was one thing that I could help all men with, with just the snap of my fingers, if there was just one thing I could help all moms with, with a snap of fingers, if it was just one thing, one thing I've seen so important, so needed, so like lacking in so many areas, it would be in anger. Anger. If I could just snap my fingers and none of us would ever have a problem with our own anger again, I would want to do that so fast. If I could snap my fingers and help us know how to respond to other people's anger perfectly every time, I would love that. If I could look back at former Dave, all the times I lost my temper and was angry and could snap my fingers, like none of that ever happened. With none of the associated guilty feelings or regrets or apologies, if I could just wipe that clean, I would do it, but I can't. But God could. God could snap his fingers, be like, anger is done. But he doesn't. Why? Why doesn't God, since he could just snap his fingers and say, you don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm saving you. Here's how salvation works. You're done with your anger problem. It almost feels like unfair. He could save his people in that way, but he chooses not to. Because he clearly can, so it's a choice. There's an intentionality on God's part. There's a reason he doesn't just make all these things instantly disappear for all of his people when they put their trust in him. It's because God, out of his limitless grace, wants to give us the ability, wants to give us the strength, wants to give us the wisdom, and then he wants to work on it with us. He wants us to partner in building this faith that we have. He gives it to us. It's all his raw materials. It's all his instructions, all his wisdom. But when he gives it to us, it's like a Lego set. The anger-free life, 1,000 pieces. Step one, assemble these. And God's giving us the instructions. He's giving us all the Lego pieces, and he's sitting there with us every time we mess it up. We're like, no. Griffin would appreciate this illusion, this analogy. He loves Legos. He can put them together for hours. But what if he had no instructions? Would he be able to come up with the perfect Star Wars ship? Probably not. It'd just be like a pretty amazing one. But the perfect one? No, the designer's got to give us instruction on how to do that. God calls us to be builders with his tools and his materials and his blueprints. He calls us to be growers with his seeds, his soil, his plants, his fruit. You see how it works? He's doing it all, but he's not just going to do it for us. He does it to us. And then he says, now we're going to do it together. I want to do this with you. So when you're in the building phase and things are not working right, or they're not working fast enough, or you're frustrated in this department of anger, recognize he's already given you all the skills you need, all the tools you need, and now he wants to work with you to implement them. And as you do, you'll be like, wow, Father, this is so cool. I'm partnering with you in my recreation. Wouldn't it be cool if God invited us to be involved in regular creation? All right, everybody, we're going to make light today. All right, so here, I'm going to give you this word. You say it, we'll do it together. We didn't get that opportunity. 
But in our lives, we are new creations in Christ Jesus, created to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. We get the word in us, we get Christ in us, and then he starts working on us. So God's looking for co-laborers, not because he needs help, but this is part of the plan. What's that old adage? Those who can't do, teach. Sorry, hopefully that's not me. Hopefully I'm doing and teaching. Hopefully that's not in any of us. But the other adage, we learn by doing, I couldn't believe in that more. I think it's 1,000% true. You can hear a 1,000 sermons or you can practice one experience, which is why I'm encouraging us to experiment with these things. So I want you to practice being angry this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, nope, you have to. Well, you don't have to. I wish I could force you to. I want you to practice godly anger this week. And if God brings situations into my life and yours that makes us mad, I'm going to be grateful for it this week because he is preparing us for it now. And if we don't practice with him, we're just always going to be bad at it. And that's what I don't want for myself. I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I had more skill in handling this kind of a situation when I was actually in that situation. I wish I could have done better, but I learned through that failure. I learned through that opportunity. I'm here. I want to improve my godly anger skills. God gets angry. He's not sinning. So there's a way to do that. Jesus got angry. He didn't sin. So there's a way to do it. I want to be like that. And we, we talked several years ago about what Christian anger is. And we, we discovered in scripture that um, there's this word praus, which is the, the godly way of being um, meek. It's the, the perfect balance between having no anger, being passive, being a doormat, and being aggressive and overbearing and rude. And it's, it's praus. And so I think we've defined that well as a church. We know that word. This morning, I would like to give steps, practical steps to how to build praus in our lives. How do you develop good Christian anger management skills? How will God want to build that in you? And there are stages. We'll talk about that in a minute. Psychologists have identified different stages of anger. The Bible gives specific advice on different stages of the anger process. Before it happens, as it's rising, when it's happening, in the aftermath. So wherever we are in our own anger experience, our skill set, If we're awful at it, that's fine. God can work on you. He's not looking for you to be perfect for him to save. He's looking to build with some raw materials. Uh, But it's going to take us engaging with him. For all those who just bottle it up and then explode inappropriately later. Oh, I wish I could just snap my fingers and make that go away for you. And instantly you would just be measured and able to release pressure little bits appropriately along the way until it's too late and everybody, including yourself, suffers. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is to rely on him and his tools to know how to do that. Not just make a wish and not have to fight for it anymore. Not have to work for it. Jesus had to work for his sacrifice. And he calls us into discipleship, which requires a lot of sacrifice along the way. Our anger is one of these key things. We need to be sacrificing our anger to God. Putting it back on the altar again and again. Otherwise, it will wreck things. It will dishonor God's name. It will ruin our relationships. It will lodge all sorts of bitter roots in us. It ain't good, and we know that. Look back on your anger and think if it's been your friend in your life. Mm -mm. But there is a way to do it well. And we shouldn't be passive Christians, totally useless for the world and for ourselves, unable to stand up for ourselves or anybody else. That's not Jesus either. And so what we want to look at is some practical steps here. So whether you're a bottler and an exploder, 
Whether you're hot-headed and instantly fire comes raining down within a second's notice of anything happening, uh, whether you're just a, a, a complainer, little irritated moments every second of every day here and there, or whether you don't know how to be angry and so you're just passive and let it all go even when you shouldn't. Like, we're somewhere in there, all of us. Those are the options. And then there's Jesus. So let's ask some questions. Let's kind of get it started. You help me kind of paint the picture. What are some of the things that make us angry? Fire them out there. Traffic. Traffic. What makes you mad? What makes people mad? When do you see people getting angry? Um, not getting our way. Not getting our way. Perfect. What makes people mad? Since you've been mad before, you could just say what makes you mad. You can say I have a friend who gets mad and then put in the thing that really makes you mad if it makes you feel better. Come on, what makes us mad? Injustice. Oh, what? Injustice? Clutter. What? Clutter. Clutter? Clutter? Gotcha. Clutter. Yes. I was going to say injustice. Injustice. Two for injustice. Ian. Slow internet connection. Slow internet loading. Yes. Good. <laughs> yeah. Time management. Time management. Yes. Scheduling makes us mad. Stupid people. Stupid people. Yes. They're infuriating. And when we are, oh man, oops, uh, David. Suffering. Suffering, yeah. Why? Why? What? Waiting. Waiting, mm-hmm, yep. Feeling rushed. <laughs> Feeling rushed. These are great. Okay, how do people respond to getting angry? What are the various ways you see people respond to these things? Shut down. Shut down, good one. Is that where you're going? That's my hand, yeah, two for a shutdown. Yelling, right? Blaming. Blaming? Good. Good one. What? You said math. Math? Oh, get mad. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get mad. That's right. About crying. I think that's kind of a woman's thing more than a Yeah, but it probably shouldn't be. Us guys are bottlers in that way, and that's not healthy either. So, yeah, crying. Good. Passive-aggressiveness. Passive-aggressiveness, yes. That's a personal favorite of ours, isn't it? We humans love that one. I'm going to make my point and turn it into a joke. <laughs> Ain't funny. Venting on other people, right? Not the people, other people. All right, transition with me. Next question. How did Jesus do anger? Flip tables. Flip tables. <laughs> Whips and tables, yep, same scene, yep. He spoke truth to it. Spoke truth, okay. <coughs> How did Jesus be angry the right way? Yeah, he'll normally turn it out to the core. He'll ask a question that will make you not mm -hmm. just get out of it, but tell you why you're angry and yeah, mm -hmm. very specific. Yep, he, he goes to the core of it. Asking questions, I guess, is a response of his as well. He's mad and he's going to ask a question. That often isn't ours. That would be a good lesson we could learn from Christ as well. Talk to the people who upset him. Talk to the people who upset him. Seems like a basic thing, but it's usually our last resort when it could be our first one. Uh, my grandmother, she broke plates. I didn't see Jesus breaking plates, but he did break tables. So I guess, I don't know, is Gloria's anger the same as Jesus's? I don't think so. I don't know if she was the best example, but we love her anyway. He teaches. Teaches. Okay, information. Yeah, stepping in and helping. Like, I believe the whole crucifixion is about Christ's anger against sin 
and being willing to sacrifice himself to fix it. And he was mad about that. He's willing to die for that. That wasn't like, oh, I wish sin didn't happen. It's like, no, this is going to cost it all and it's worth it because it's, it's the only way. So I'm going to walk us through what I think the Bible gives as six stages. Um, we're going to see as we go through them that uh, one of these stages where the Holy Spirit really steps in and has a major role. Uh, another one is what's the Bible's role in um, our anger, uh, Jesus, the Father, ourselves, our responsibility, corporate. Like There are different keys to each of these stages. So I'm hoping as we hit that stage, I'm not going to spend a ton of time in each of them, but we're just going to present them, think about them, maybe discuss them a little bit as we go through. Uh, if you, the, you hit the struggle one, think back to what the key is for that one, and that will be the key for you growing and building with God in that area. But all of this needs to be done by God. So I want to start with a moment of prayer. For us, um, we are not going to do self-help today. Um, we are not going to give you the, the six ways you can fix things. We are going to show the six areas we need to rely on God in anger and try to break it down a little bit because it's a monster. Anger is a monster and it's too big. And we need to be able to subdivide and tackle things piece by piece and know where to go to God for it. So if you just take a minute, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And so let's ask for God to fix our anger problems and give us more skill in it. I know he will. He wants to this morning. Just take a moment and quietly think about where you stand in relationship to your anger skills. Just take a moment there and then I'll pray for us. Father God, we ask for your help. Please help us this morning in the way of giving us eyes to see and giving us insight and, and even just information that we might not know through your word, through your spirit, through the words you put in my mouth. Uh, but we know that this needs to be a work of you. We desire to reflect you and to honor you. We desire to have freedom from our anger and rage and not to be controlled by it. So that's going to have to be you, Father. And so we ask for you to do a work of grace within us as we examine and look at how you've made us and how you save us. And it's all in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. All right, so psychologists have identified roughly, and there's some you know, dispute on the stages, but as I was able to kind of consolidate, five stages of anger. They say there's a trigger stage, something happens and sets you off. There's the escalation, getting more and more angry, right? There's crisis, you know, it actually escalates into an event. Uh, and then there's a recovery, and then there's depression. You're kind of like the aftermath. And so that's based on how they're analyzing uh, how humans work, how God made us, what they see in uh, human interaction socially. Uh, but when I look in scripture, the way I saw it breaking down was into six stages. Some of them are one-to-one -one with what um, the secular analysts have found. Some of them are different. Uh, you'll see some fundamental differences, but I'd like to give you these six stages. And if you have pen, if you would write down just these six words, as we go through them, those words can kind of get filled out with more meaning. Um, but the six stages of godly, Anger, the first one I believe is recognition. Kind of see it for what it is. Eyes open. So recognition. The second one is our response. Can be good, can be bad, but that happens. The third one is separation. 
We are not our anger. We have to separate it from ourselves. Then evaluation. What am I going to do about this? Lord, give me wisdom. There's decision involved, not just impulse. Then request. If you're not praying, you're not doing it right. If we're not praying, we're not doing anger right. Prayer has to be an integral part of our battle and our skill growth, spiritual growth. And the last one, resolution. If we stay mad, we're not doing what Christ said, forgive, reconcile, release to the Lord, you know, those sorts of things. And, and anger is sticky and can stay with people for lifetimes. We don't want to be those people. And so if you're in the sticky stage and it's just the resolution that is still clinging, then we get to that place. I hope that God will give some insight into what it can look like to get through that. We want to have anger, have the full life cycle, and then be done with it. There are three different biblical words. One of them is about the slow building anger. Another one is about the impulsive, like fiery anger. And then the other one is like this repeated offense, irritation. Um, those words are used to describe God at various times in his interaction, Jesus at various times, us. And I just, we don't need to know the words, but I like that concept. Anger isn't a one kind of thing. There's many different forms of anger. We get angry in many different, it's like love. There's many different forms of love. And so when we're trying to analyze our anger, I think it's good to be self-aware. What form are we experiencing? Are we just exploding? Do, or is there a slow build that's happening here that we need to resolve before? It explodes. The Bible shows that there's a full range of emotion in the way God's made us. So this first section, uh, recognition, is all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is key to this. Because we could talk about anger all the time, all you want. It doesn't mean we're going to actually see what's happening. And it doesn't mean we're going to be able to fix it. How many times do you have someone in your life who is overbearing or rude and you go to them and say, don't speak that way, okay, okay, and then do it again. Like they can't see it in themselves and it doesn't matter that they've received information that this is not a good behavior to have. In the moment, the Holy Spirit, whether they're saved or if they're not saved, there's no chance of the Holy Spirit helping them, but the Holy Spirit isn't saying, look, it's happening. The warning signs are going up, your eyes are being, oh, I see it. Sometimes we get caught in speech patterns this way, saying the word like, like this, you know, like, like, and then someone says it to us. <laughs> you say the word like a lot. And then you hear yourself and you start to annoy yourself because you hear yourself saying it now. And now you're as annoyed as everyone around you has always already been. But since it annoys you, you cut it out because you become aware. The Holy Spirit has to do that eye opening for us. So if you don't think you're angry, you're wrong. Can we just say that? We're all angry. All of us get angry, but all of us have anger. And God has anger. That's okay. Not all anger is bad, but we need to be aware of it. Awareness is a Holy Spirit's job. And I think there's two types of that, and there's a couple of scriptures that point out each type. There's the general awareness of anger. Like when we were in school, did anybody teach you, like, anger is bad, don't be angry? I don't think I ever went through that class in public high school. But don't you think people should be taught how to handle their anger? Like it's a life skill. So the Bible gives us just the general awareness that like anger is dangerous. Anger is destructive. Anger is playing with fire. Like I wish there was a class for that in school because it's a human skill that humans should have. But we as Christians, we've got the God who knows it all. So he's giving us some education. We need to be aware, just aware of um, anger. And then situational. In the moment, the word's about to come out. You want the Holy Spirit to do, <coughs> don't let it out. <laughs> But 
first he's got to make you aware and you can know all about Yes, there's dangers, there's traps, anger is a snare, and I should not fall into it, forsooth, in whatever King James word you can think of. Uh, but then someone makes you mad and you scream at them. I was like, well, what happened in the translation? Well, in the moment, you needed the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, you're on your own. You're just a human, and humans are a mess. Don't be a mess. Be a Christian. Be saved. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have possibility to do more than just what psychologists talk about anger. Have actual escape routes from it. So the conceptual knowledge of anger, there's two scriptures that can talk specifically to that. Psalm 37, 8 says, Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, and fret not yourself. So there's like three different kinds. Like don't be angry, don't be wrathful, no rage, and don't fret. Like don't be constantly annoyed and complaining. Like don't do those things. Why? Because it tends only towards evil. It leads towards evil. So you might think that you're justified in being angry about this and that, but if you stay there, it's going to end up badly. That's just general advice on anger. We should be teaching humans this from an early age. God wants to teach us even if we never learned before. Another one, Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath. I think this is interesting. It's kind of like someone who is identified by everybody. That's an angry dude. A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much sin. So the people that just stir the pot, they love it. We're not supposed to be that way. It's going to cause sin to happen. So us with our anger out there in the world, we're causing sin. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to feel it ourselves. We certainly want to cause it for other people, but that's what happens. So there's biblical advice. Like know what anger does. Know what anger does. But for us in the moment, there's a couple of scriptures that really give us a lot of wisdom. Both short Proverbs statements as well. The first one's from Ecclesiastes 7.9. For us in the moment, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the hearts of fools. So I'm sorry to say it, but if you're staying angry, you're a fool. But it doesn't mean it's your fault. Christ needs to set you free. But it's foolish to stay there. It's going to continue to rot and fester. So like, be wise. Understand what anger does to us. So don't go there quickly. Take your time. Hold off on that anger because it's going to get stuck in you. And it does. It gets stuck in me. It gets stuck in us sometimes. We have to like work it out, right? We have to talk it out or give yourself space or go for a run. We have coping mechanisms because we don't want it to get lodged. But it does. And the Bible knows this. So in like 1200 BC, God's putting paper to pen and saying, hey, keep this in mind, humans. And here in 2023, we still don't know this. Read the Bible. It's so perfectly suited for us. It is built for us. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. So someone says something, you answer softly. It turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up the anger. So who do we want to be in the moment? Do we want to be stirring it up and making it worse? Or do we want to like catch ourselves, take a breath, be slow in how we process it? Because we don't want to get stuck there and we don't want to make it worse. You know, and the more that we look at the whole recognition piece, the more it kind of becomes like preventative too. It's linked to, to prevention because if you realize that they're the same people that are making you, you become aware, this person always makes me mad. This news channel always makes me mad. Like awareness is increasing. Well, then we get to opt out of some of those things. I'd like to not spend as much time with that person, even if they're family. Let's leave it for, you know, family holidays and that'll be enough. We shouldn't spend more time because it's stirring things 
up. I want to know what's going on in the world. So which news outlets can I read to like know what's happening, but which ones are just making me angry and I shouldn't sample? Well, you get smarter and then you make choices and that helps. There's less opportunities for anger as we go and ultimately this has got to be the Holy Spirit. You remember Romans 17 or 7.18 uh, says, I have the desire to do what's right <laughs> but not the ability to carry it out. The things I want to do, I can't do the things that right. I have the desire but not the ability. It's because God gives the ability. Jesus said in John 16.8, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit's job is to like stir us up and let us know what's what, what's good, what's bad, what's sin, what's righteous, and then we can know. And with that awareness, now we can move on to the next stage. So a two-second pause here before we go to our response to it. Um, does this trigger any thoughts? Does it raise any questions? Is there another scripture that comes to mind? Do you want to chime in here before we move past the recognition of anger? Happy to have any thoughts that might be coming to your mind add to the conversation, if so. Yeah, Tracy. I think God gives us um, uh, good instruction on how to fight fear. Call it matter, fight. But whatever mm -hmm. it is, it's something that needs to be resolved. So mm -hmm. as long as two people enter, God tells to enter with the idea of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. and fight fair. Yeah. Right? And, and you, see, you should be able to say the things that whatever that I think you're right. And actually, that, since that's such a good segue into the second one, we're just going to go right there. So keep your wheels spinning at the end of each of these stages. If you have thoughts you want to chime in, I'd love to enrich the thoughts that I have with, with whatever we bring to the table this morning. Uh, but the second stage is response. And this is really our role in anger. You know, we can't make ourselves the way we are. We're already who we are. We got the genetic predisposition. If we come from a long line of hotheads, the chances are pretty good. We're going to get some of that. Um, and sometimes we react impulsively. And then after that, after like, okay, I need to take a step back. I, I, need a, uh, I need a second try at that. Or I need to apologize. Our response can be really varied. But God's not responsible for our response. Otherwise, then we're robots. And the whole story of grace, the whole crucifixion, none of that makes any sense. So this really, of all the stages, the response is on us. Because God can give us all the advice in the world, but then when we do something wrong, He's like, well, <laughs> this is the whole story of the Bible, right? Hard-hearted people, how many times do I got to say it? And we're just going to fail again and again. But we need to come to the Lord saying, you know, the devil didn't make me do it. God, you didn't fail me in that moment. I dropped the ball. Or even better, encouragingly, you walk out of a situation like, I can't believe how well that went. God's actually been helping me in this anger stuff. That, you know, a year ago, five years ago, former me, that would have been so much worse. So the response is a chance to go back to the Lord and say, I handled it well, I responded well, or I didn't. But either way, that's a confession to the Lord. Lord, I confess that um, I could never have done that without you. Or Lord, I confess that I tried to do that without you, and that's why I went so badly. <laughs> it's a confession moment. But response is for us. Um, you remember how Jesus responded in Mark 3, uh, verse 4. Jesus said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? And everyone silently looked around at them with anger. Jesus looks around at the people there with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he says to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Like Jesus' response there was to be angry. But it was to point out the lack of faith. 
and to show the power of God. Like he just stepped right into it. He did it so well. He had nothing to apologize for. Oftentimes we do. But the response is kind of like an indication of where we are in our spiritual journey. Jesus is like all the way there. <laughs> We're somewhere else. <laughs> We're somewhere along the progress. So we see our response, recognize for good or for bad, and we don't want to be just reactive. We want to be thoughtful. So we pay attention to our responses to let it inform where we're at in that journey. This leads us into the next section, into the separation, and this is super important. Um, I'll just let you think on your own about your responses. If you were to evaluate yourself right now, <clears throat> put like a few questions and you have to circle like one to 10 or something, you know, how are you doing in responding to angry situations with family members, right? Where are you in the growth process? If it's zero, then you need Jesus. <laughs> if it's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, guess who you also need? Jesus. But you're showing some growth at least with the raw materials that Jesus is giving you and him by your side, the Holy Spirit in us, God saving us. So the response is really for our own personal growth. And it's not a, a yes or no thing. It's a, a, a spectrum of spiritual maturity. But that leads us to the third stage, and this is separation. And this is where Jesus steps in. You know, our role is what it is, and Jesus steps in. There's one thing that the Bible tells us that we are not our sin. You are not your anger. That is a separate thing happening to you, or that is a separate thing coming out of you, but it is not you. And this is a place where psychology falls short because it can't describe the separation of soul and body, of flesh and spirit. But that's really all that matters, is us knowing how do I live out this life of the spirit in this world of the flesh? And so that's why it's so confusing, because there's this battle that goes on within us. But we have to recognize that we need to separate ourselves, and Jesus separates us from our anger. It is not us. Our identity is a child of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Our identity is saved by grace. Amen, right? We are God's beloved, right? We are seated in the heavenly places right now. Right. He, all these things, this, that's who we are. So when anger is happening, it's not the spirit that God's given you. It's the flesh that you're working through. Jars of clay, we've been given this treasure on the inside. So the spirit in us now is redeemed when we know Christ. But it's still working its way out through flesh, through desires, through frustrations, through weakness, through outside influences. But if we say, I'm an angry person, you're a Christian, you're a Christ-redeemed person who anger is like tripping you up. Separate ourselves from it. Jesus separated himself from his anger. He was not angry, but he got angry. Ephesians 4 talks about this separation. 4.31 says, let all bitterness, that's the kind of anger, just get bitter. Wrath, anger, clamor, just like loud noise, um, and slander, talking badly about people. These are all the anger categories. Let those things be put away from you along with all malice. So if you can put it away from you, it's clearly not you. It's something else. It's something on you, the sin, the sin that clings. It's something in your flesh that you're trying to work through and have sanctified by Jesus. 
But we're supposed to put those things away. So we are something else. Now Paul goes on the very next verse and says, be kind. This is like the opposites of those things. Be kind to people. It's simple, but be kind. He goes on and he says, um, be tender-hearted. Like have a soft heart towards people. And forgive one another as Christ forgave you. This is the Jesus moment. When Jesus steps into normal human lives, something else becomes possible. And so I'm speaking to all of us here. I look around and I see believers. I see family. I see God's people. So this is possible for all of us. For everyone here, it's possible to become more like Christ and less like Adam. You know, which lineage are we in? Ephesians 5, Paul says, uh, Don't become partners with the world. At one time you were darkness. It's like an identity statement. That's who you were. But now you are light in the Lord. That's who we are. We are light. So if we're not shining, it's either because we're dirty and so the light can't get out, or because we're dim and we need to fan the flames. There's something like that, but recognize who God has made us. And it's beautiful. It's light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. I'd like to have us read from Romans. This is one of the passages we'll read from today. I'll probably read uh, one from James as well. But if you would turn from me, if we read nothing else, I would be thrilled if we would just read this one together. It talks about the separation, and I even referred to it earlier. So if you have your Bibles, or if you want to look it up on your phones, or what have you, uh, Romans chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 15. If you, like me, have ever or do ever struggle with this kind of Christian walk, and why do I always say these things, but I don't want to, and why do I act that way, or when am I going to grow up and figure this out, or why can't I stop this, or all those sorts of things, uh, the book of Romans is powerful for it. I mean, if I would even just recommend that you read chapters 6 through 8, just three or four chapters, yeah, eat those scriptures up and absorb them. But really, the whole book, certainly from chapter one on and then after, describes it. But the heartbeat of the gospel is right there. And I want us to recognize that we're handling anger as something that God intends for us to work on, that he's helping us to work on, that he provides deliverance from, and that is not of him. Sinful anger. You'll see what I mean. Romans chapter 7. Let me read a couple of verses for us and we'll think about it. Paul writes, this is like the, the struggling Christian experience. When, when we need God to move, when we're thwarted, when we're hindered. Christian can so easily say, Romans 7.15, I do not understand my own actions. From husbands to wives or wives to husbands. How many times have there been that we've said or done something? You're just like, why did I do that? I don't know why I said that. It just came out. That's not God making that come out. That's the sin that we are trying to submit to the Lord for His purification. It's the flesh that our spirit is working with. I do not even understand my own actions for I do not do what I want. Wouldn't we all want to be peaceful and not be angry? Seems like a common sense sort of thing. Then why don't we just never be angry again? We're good. We've decided. We're done. Sermon over. It doesn't work that way. It's not about desire. As Paul says, I so often feel that I do the very thing. I find that I do the very thing that I hate. So now if I do what I don't want to do, I have to agree with God's law that it is good. 
So we're recognizing good and bad when it happens. The bad comes out and you're like, I admit it. Okay, God, you were right about that. Anger's not safe. Verse 17. So then it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Sin as like this other force, this other compulsion, this brokenness, this result of the fallen world working on us. Sin in us. We're like, oh man, just get that out. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now here he's not talking about his identity, he's talking about his body that is in my flesh. For I have the desire, there's the heart, there's the heart of a Christian. I have the desire to do actions, do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Romans 8, skim down, just a few more verses, get to the beginning of that chapter, Romans 8, 1. However, there is therefore now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 5, chapter 8. Those who live according to their flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we have actually, all of us, already been set free from this sin. And either we don't know it, or we're not using the tools God's given us for it, or we're not asking Him to take it away, or we're not putting in the hard work if He wants to take it away slowly over a long time. We're impulsive, we're frustrated, we... Just say, well, that's who I am. It's not who we are. It's a past tense statement. We have been set free. So don't say to yourself, your anger is just a part of you. No. It's a part of the flesh that God is trying to give you a handle on. It's just a part of the flesh that God's trying to give you a handle on. Because if we were to measure all of our anger and put it in a pie chart, it's like 1% of it would be justified. And 99% of it would be how we felt in a moment, how we were impacted, what someone else did to us. So leave the 1% to God, but turn over the 99% to Jesus for that cross. Let's get that nailed there and get that done with. Do not settle. Do not accept. Do not justify. Do not make excuses. Do not tell yourself this is the way it's always going to be. That's the separation that Jesus does from us in salvation. So if you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you really can't say any of what I just said about yourself. You are darkness. So it's actually no surprise that it comes out when you open your mouth. Like that's not even your fault. You inherited it. You were born into it. So I'm sorry that each of us were born into that condition. But let's just accept that and recognize it and admit it. And then do something about it. And this is where us, and I'll say this a million times, please hear it. We'll use it now in the context of anger. It applies to everything. When you are sharing your faith with other people who are exhibiting behaviors that show their flesh, don't start by saying, don't say that. Don't do that. It's like telling a person who's in a wheelchair because their legs don't work, why aren't you running around? What's the matter with you? They're incapable without God's help. So instead, start with, man, I see a lot of anger in your life. Jesus could really help with that if you would look to him for help. Instead of saying, don't say that. Stop being rude. Like These are just over the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. 
So don't make your witnessing about behavior modification. That's my whole point. I'll just, I'll say that again. Don't go telling people who aren't saved, act right, because they're going to act right and die and go to hell. Go to people who aren't acting right and be like, I'm seeing symptoms here of something in your heart's just not healthy. Why are you so mad all the time? Don't you want to love life? What about joy? Wouldn't you like the people around you to be happy to be around you instead of either like walking by you like this or plugging their ears or like running away when they see you, not inviting you to any family functions? Wouldn't you want that? Your anger is dangerous. It's making a mess of your life. So if you can see the symptoms, you offer someone help for the root of it. What if we just like extricate the anger root? They don't have to worry about all the fruit coming out. I put the Holy Spirit in there, all of a sudden start bearing good fruit. See, see how this works? Yeah, the Bible's got it all figured out. We just have to turn to the Lord. But the uh, separation, this is Jesus' role in it. I've taken long enough on this section. Maybe not. Maybe I should take longer. But we're going to move forward a few more. And we're going to go through them. I'm going to read a quote for this next one just because this is brilliantly said. Uh, the next step is evaluation. And this is where the Bible comes in. You need to evaluate your anger based on what the Bible says anger should look like. So you take your anger here, and you take the Bible here, and like, where do they match up? This is how you evaluate. Don't just look at yourself and say, okay, I was angry. Should I be? Was it justified? This isn't up to us to determine what sin is. You're not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to do that. I can't call sin righteousness or righteousness sin. I can't define it. I just have to go to Scripture and say, God, teach me. Holy Spirit inside me, teach me what sin looks like. So with anger, we have to evaluate it, but we can't do it on our own. Before I read the quote, let me quote to you James 1.19. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We're very familiar with this, I'm sure. It's on bumper stickers, probably hanging in our house somewhere. Like We know this one. But the next two statements are even more impactful than that first one. The next statement is, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So why should you be slow to speak? Your anger is not going to make things better. And by the way, you're not God. Your anger is not going to bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, and here's the like kicker, put away all the filthiness and the wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, God's word, which is able to save your souls. So that's what we do. We receive the word. Plant it in me, Jesus. Plant peace in me that can grow up and, and break through the cracks of the cement of my anger and my hardened heart. Because I want soft heart. I want gentle heart. I want tender heart. And I'm just noticing as I evaluate myself, as I separate myself from the anger, which is not me, that I got a lot of work to do here. And, and I can't self-help my way into righteousness. I'm going to need you, Father. So teach me. And then you pick up your Bible. You call a Christian friend. You talk to your, your mentors, your disciplers, your peers, your people in your small groups. You just say, what are we going to do about this? And you look for implanted truth. That'll just make everything kind of make sense and give us the ability to it. So Richard Rohr, he has some more recent writings that I'm not honestly a fan of. So I'm not going to advocate for him um, carte blanche. We should never take an author, any author really, kind of full scale. People's theologies change. Um, you find things out about them afterwards. So sometimes kind of cherry pick. Here was a good thought that came. And in this book early on, very orthodox, very beautiful thought. I feel like it says better than I could. He paints a picture of... Uh, of us sitting on the bank of a river and evaluating these things that go by. So think of it in terms of our anger and how we relate to it and evaluate it. Um, 
Most of us, he says, have lived our whole lives long with a permanent stream of consciousness, a continual flow of ideas and images and feelings. And at every moment of our lives, we cling to these feelings and ideas. And that's why the following happens. I don't have the idea. The idea has me. This happens in anger, right? Uh, anger has you in that moment. It gets me. Someone says, oh, I don't have a feeling. The feeling has me. I'm in love, so therefore I have to do whatever I feel. I'm mad, therefore I have to say whatever I think. Right? It just applies. But he says, we have to discover who this I really is. The one who has these feelings or these thoughts. Who are you yourself behind your thoughts and feelings? He says, I'm sure that most people in the Western world have never really met the person who they themselves are. Because at every moment in our life long, we identify ourselves either with our thoughts of the moment or our self-image or our feelings. We have to find a way to get behind our thoughts and our feelings and our self-image. We have to discover the face that we already had long before we were born. We have to find out who we were all along in God before we did anything right or wrong. And he says this is the first goal of Christian contemplation. It takes contemplation and meditation to think through these things. It's going to take time. Give yourself the time. He says, I ask you to imagine a river or stream. You're sitting on the bank of this river where boats and ships are sailing. And while the stream flows past your inner eye, I ask you to name each one of these boats and ships. For example, one of the boats could be called my anxiety about tomorrow. Or along comes the ship objections to my husband. <laughs> or the boat, oh, I don't do that well. Every judgment that you pass as one of these boats, take the time to give each one of the name and then let it move on. For some people, he says, this is a very difficult exercise because we're used to jumping aboard the boats immediately. As soon as we own a boat, we identify with it, it picks up energy. But we have to practice letting go. With every idea, with every image that comes into our head, we say, no, I'm not that. I don't need that. That's not me. And again and again, we have to tell ourselves this. Some of those boats that are already used to our jumping aboard them immediately think we just didn't see them the first time. So they head back upstream and return. The boat says, before this, he always used to get mad at his wife. Why didn't he this time? Some of you, you will feel the need to torpedo your boats. But don't do it. Please don't attack these boats. Don't hate them. Don't condemn them. This is also an exercise in nonviolence. You aren't allowed to hate your soul. You can't hate your soul. The point is to recognize these things and then to say, that's not necessary. I don't need that. But do it very amiably. If we learn to handle our own souls tenderly and lovingly, then we'll be able to carry the same loving wisdom into the world outside. He just paints such a beautiful picture. I had to read that for you this morning. Like, just take time to consider who we are, the face that we had before we ever were born. Who does God know us to be and who is Jesus making us? We want the righteousness of God to come through and our anger is not going to get us there. And that brings us to the fifth stage, <clears throat> which is the request. This is God the Father's role in our anger. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask and it will be given generously without fault. But do not doubt. Don't be double-minded. You'll be unstable in all that you do. That's from the book of James. We need to pray. Uh, Psalm 86.15 defines God this way. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So this is God's nature. We want to be like God when we're slow to anger because God is slow to anger and it's better 
It's wise. It's appropriate. It's not never anger. And it's not that there aren't things to become angry about, but it's letting that grow in a process of meditation and submission and asking God to teach us how to be like Him. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, so the way God works in us, how we become like the Holy Spirit, like God, that sort of behavior is love, joy, peace. Peace is the opposite of anger. Patience. Patience is the opposite of anger. Kindness. Kindness is the opposite of anger. Goodness. Opposite of anger. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Opposite of anger. Self-control. So like six out of the nine fruit of the Spirit are like direct opposites of man's anger, which is never going to bring about the righteousness of God because it's not how God operates. And it's not who he's trying to grow us to be. He's trying to grow us to be like Jesus. Less like ourselves. James 4.1 says, What causes your quarrels and causes your fights? Isn't it just this, that your own passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't get it, so you murder. You want something, you can't have it, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to satisfy your own passions. Like just be pure-hearted in this desire for patience and turning our anger over to the Lord. We have to ask Him to do this in us. It's a work of God. This is His role. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes. We respond rightly or wrongly and confess and just admit that to the Lord. Jesus comes in. He changes our identity. We read the Bible. We get the nuts and bolts of how to do it. But then we have to literally go to God and say, please do this work. And He will. It's a promise. So all we need to do is just pursue what God already promises because it's not for us to dispense justice in the world. And a lot of times our anger is our way of punishing the people that we're hurt by. Don't use your anger as a punishment. You're not going to help them to see how badly they did or how they affected you. Romans 12:19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. So do not be overcome by evil. Remember, anger tends only to evil. Don't be overcome by that, but overcome evil with good. It's not up to us to punish all the people around us for all the things they've done. And we can use our words and use our behaviors and use our passive aggression and use our avoidance and our cold shoulders and our slander. We can use all those tools to punish, but that's not our job. Our job is to just stop it from happening to us so that we can be a light that there's a different way. Because if we all just accept that, well, people are angry, we do and say these things, we're not living to Christ's light. We're not shining. Instead of judging those around us and trying to fix all their bad behaviors, look at ourselves and say, how am I doing this? How can I do better? Jesus, transform me. And then that light will be what draws others to us. Our life is supposed to be a living example of the truth of Scripture. So all these things we're reading about the beautiful way to do anger is like enlivening and freeing and exciting to me. I want to look like that. And then as I and you look like that, people will then say, well, I would rather look like that than be cleaning up the messes that I have to make constantly and putting out all the fires that I create and having people want to spend time with me and build a relationship instead of being like, well, that person's too difficult to get along with. So this is how we live. We live as lights, not as judges. Do not use your anger. Point people to Christ. Speak truth. We can be a mirror of sorts. When someone is angry inappropriately, they say, well, I don't think that's 
the right way to handle that. Or the Bible says that we're supposed to handle that we can speak the truth, but then those are the seeds. If they're not implanted in someone else and growing, we need to leave it to God to execute the justice and the vengeance. Which brings us to the last point, and I wish we had had more time to discuss all these as we've been going, or even here at the end. We're, we're not going to have time for that this morning. Um, but can we just take a moment to recognize that uh, God's plan involves resolution. At some point, you have to be done with every incident of anger, all the way. You don't hang on to it. You don't harbor it. You don't let it come back. You don't threaten people with it. We don't get bitter because of it. Some people think that an anger response is strength. I told them just how I felt. That seems like strength, but actually that's just causing more strife, right? It's leading towards sin. It's creating more trouble. True strength is closure. It's done. And for all those people who want to fight back, is that ever going to be done? I hurt you. You hurt me. You do something to me. I tell you exactly what I thought about that. Where, where is that going to end? How is that anger going to bring about the righteousness of God? It's not. So we step into those moments looking for how there can be a final end. You might think that you and your sibling are just going to fight for life. Or you and your parents are going to be at odds for life. And maybe, but as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Book of Romans. Right? So as far as it depends on us, we're looking to actually be done with that anger in all of those situations. And just look at it in the rearview mirror. Like, I remember when I used to be angry about that thing. Past tense. We need to see closure as strength. Some people see avoidance as strength. Well, I'm just not dealing with that. I'm not going to let that in my life. That actually seems easier to me than closure. So which takes more strength? Closure or avoidance? Closure or outrage? This is God's way. God's way is to promote healing, even the people attacking us. So let's heal. Let's help to heal them. Let's bring God's healing into the anger because something's broken there. Something's not good. It's not going to get better by ignoring it. It's not going to get better by adding to the fire. God has advice on how to put the fire out. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. So it's possible. You can be angry with no sin. This is good. This is good news. This is the gospel. But also then don't let the sun go down on your anger. There are times where it's good to let the literal, literal sun go down in 24 hours because you need a minute to breathe. If you try to fix it before the clock strikes midnight, you're just going to make it worse. So it's, it's a concept. It means don't let it go without fixing it. Don't let it delay. Don't linger. Like, like, work on it. It's not meant to be 24 hours, and sometimes that's bad advice. Go right back in there and have the rest of that conversation now while you're both really angry and said all these things you regret. Maybe not. Maybe sleep on it and wake up, and then just go right back to it and try to find your way through. So this is God's advice. Let the sun, metaphorically, not go down. Don't let it set. Lingering. Jesus said, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother... Anger, angry with his brother, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, the church. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus thinks this anger is pretty important. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, communion or, or offerings or even literal sacrifices back in these days, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Anger has caused a rift. 
<laughs> Jesus says, leave your gift before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother in that exact moment and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus thinks this unresolved anger is worthy of eternal judgment, worthy of a hell of fire, Jesus' words. And we just brush off anger like it's not actually that big of a deal. <laughs> Got mad about that thing, said that thing, yeah, they'll get over it. Let time pass, whatever. Like, Jesus doesn't look that way at anger. It's pretty serious for him because who we are by nature is not supposed to be man or woman of wrath. We are supposed to be people delivered by Christ. So all these steps, all these processes, we go through all these stages. I'll read them for us one more time. A music team, if you'll come forward, we're going to invite us all to come to the communion table together to close this service. Um, recognition. If that's where you're at and recognition is something you're having trouble with, you don't think you're an angry person, start there. We are. We just need to know how to handle it in a godly way. If your responses are continually not where you want them to be, settle into that stage. Think about your responses. If you would identify yourself as an angry person and it's part of your identity, or I've got a quick fuse, or, you know, I'm irritable, or no, no R statements there, no identifying. Separate ourselves. If you don't know what sin is, there's scripture and evaluation comparing to God. If you've never actually asked God to help you with your anger problems, do so. And if there are things that you're working through but it's not done, I just encourage you not to grow weary. Don't grow too tired and give up. Jesus didn't grow too tired to get all the way to the cross, to the tomb, to resurrection. And that's what he wants us to do, to really sacrifice these things fully for closure so that they may be resolved by God's power alone. So... I'm going to say a prayer now over these elements, ultimate example of sacrifice and uh, really Jesus' anger against sin and what he was willing to do to save us from it. And whenever you're ready during this last song, if you'd like to come forward and take communion, feel free. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your example, but I also thank you for your indwelling. You both teach us and change us. You both save us and instruct us, and we need both. We need your help. We also need advice. We need you to do the things we can't do on our own, but we're willing to take up our cross daily and follow you and do what we can. Participate, co-labor with you, Jesus, in this great gospel lifestyle, this great gospel journey uh, from here all the way through to glory. We thank you for your victory over sin and anger and death and pray that you would give each person here, myself included, all of us, victory over anger and sin and death in our lives that we could look more like you and bring light into a dark world. And pray for the people that we will encounter this week, and whether it's our own anger that surfaces or the anger of others that we're confronted with, I pray that you would give us your spirit to be able to handle it, respond to it, request it, resolve it, work through it in a way that brings honor and glory to you, Father. All for your glory. May it all be done because of you, through you, and for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.